Open your Bibles to Zechariah chapter 1, Zechariah, the penultimate book of the Old Testament. I say that just because I like to use the word penultimate. This means second to last. Um, so, uh, second to last book of the Old Testament. So, if you can find Matthew in the New Testament, just swing a left a little bit and you'll get to Zechariah. Zechariah 1, 1 through 6, our key text today. A few years ago, we were on the way to children's camp up in South Sioux City. And uh, our church has been blessed with a bunch of kids that go and a bunch of adults and some teenage junior sponsors that go along with us. So we rent some vans from the van rental place down the uh, uh, hill, which, by the way, it seems like they always have tons of vans and they're never gone. I don't know how that works. But anyhow, uh, so we rent some vans and, and we're, we're, we're headed up that way. I'm in the lead van. And I believe it was a few years ago when Casey Dasher was a junior sponsor and she was sitting in the shotgun seat uh, and she and I were visiting, having a good conversation about this, that and the other. And in behind us was Mr. Colby Ramsey and I don't know who your shotgun seat was or all the kids you had, but he's pulling the trailer. He's doing the man's work because he's Colby and he can do that. And so up we're going, up on 75, you get up through Fremont, and a few miles north of Fremont, if you've ever been that way, U.S. 75 does a weird thing. In order to stay on U.S. 75, you actually got to take a little off-ramp thing. Whereas if you just follow the road that's kind of, the dash lines are going that way, it spins you off to the northwest. So we're headed north, and I'm just visiting with Casey and having a good time talking with her. And before we know it, I'm like, Hey, did we just miss our turn? Casey, are we supposed to be? I don't know. She says, Pastor. And so, you know, I'm just driving along and I'm like, this is not familiar. And the sun's shining on me from, well, sun's shining from a different direction. And I know it. And just about the time I was looking to turn around, my phone rings and it's Colby. Uh, Pastor Aaron, I think you missed the turn. I'm yeah, yeah, I know, I know. So, I mean, what do you do when you're a guy and you get lost? Well, you go faster, right? <laughs> But I had to hold myself back and say, wait a second, I got a van load of kids here and Colby's got a van load of kids plus the trailer. I better take it easy. So I was like, Casey, you just need to pray for me so we can get back there all right. And she's like, what? I'm like, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'm not. We got that going the right direction. But what do we have to do? We were going the wrong direction, so we had to turn around. If you do not know the definition of the word repentance, write it down right now. Repentance means a change of heart, mind, and direction. Write it down. Repentance means a change of heart, mind, and direction. If you are going the wrong way, you must do what? Turn. Say it with me. Turn around. That's repentance. The good news for us is that God loves us enough that even if we are going the wrong way, no matter how long we've been going that way, no matter how bad we've been going that way, He will bring us back. Can I get an amen? Just as God called His people in Zechariah's day to repentance, so He calls us today. He loves us, but we've got to confess, that's agree with Him, that what we're doing is wrong and sinful. And we've got to turn, repent from our sin. And He gives a simple invitation to us, Repent, turn, come back to me. So there's nothing to be ashamed of in admitting you messed up. You might not have Colby behind you going, uh, he's going the wrong direction to call you. But when you realize that you are going the wrong direction, you just have to say, hey, I'm human. 
I've done this thing and I'm going a wrong direction and it's sinful. God, will you forgive me? And repentance bridges the gap between our failure and God's forgiveness. And it's a beautiful thing because when we've failed and gone our way and we have sinned, it's repentance that links us back to God's forgiveness. It's an act of your will, a decision to reconnect yourself with the relentless love of God in a personal relationship. Repentance, a change of heart, mind, and direction is a beautiful thing. So I want to ask you if you're able to stand with me to stand in the honor of reading God's Word. We'll read Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. Zechariah chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. This will be our shortest passage of Scripture in our sermons through the book of Zechariah, Being God's People. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, the son of Edo. The Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Do not be like your forefathers to whom the earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Turn from your evil ways and your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and decrees which I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? Then they repented and said, The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. Let's pray. God, every time we open your word as a church family, as a body of believers, our prayer is the same that you'd open our understanding. This morning in particular, as we consider the subject of repentance, this change of heart, mind, and direction, if we are in sin and opposed to your will, we pray, God, that you would speak to us clearly. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Would you be seated? We've got our scripture memory verse of the month that's coming up on the screen, and I want you to say it with me, the reference, the verse, and the reference again. Let's say it. Zechariah 1.3, therefore tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says, return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Zechariah 1.3. Now, I'm not going to preach that sermon, part of the sermon now, but we'll get there in a few points when we get to point number three. But the first point on your outline this morning is God's Word. And that comes from verse one. That's why it has a little parentheses with a one after it. God's Word. As you look at Zechariah 1.1, notice what it says. In the eighth month of the second year of Darius. Isn't that pretty cool? That even though we're going way back in history, 2,500 years, you have a very precise date. The eighth month would be our October or November, and in the second year of Darius would be 520 B.C. And then we know further because Haggai mentions specifically that he began his prophecy on the first day of the sixth month. That's August 29th. 520 BC. So we know that Haggai began his prophecy to the people, and then Zechariah follows right after him a few months later, as recorded here. So in the eighth month of the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edu. Now, you might not take much notice of those names, 
But names mean something. In our day and time, we may not have a name that means something, but maybe you do. Maybe your mother or father gave you a name because it has a family meaning. Maybe it's uh, somebody they knew that they admired. Maybe it is because of the meaning of the name and its etymology where it comes from. But these words, these names are unique. Zechariah means God remembers. Berechiah means God blesses. And Edu means timely. In a timely way, God was going to bless his people who he remembered. And even the names of Zechariah, his father, and his grandfather point to the fact that God wants to restore his people if they will listen to his word and repent. But here's the key part of verse 1. The word of the Lord. Now, your Bible may have, like mine, a capital L, then a little bit smaller font, capital O, capital R, capital D. That's Yahweh. That's the Lord God. That's God's divine name. That is His name. I am and I always will be. I am God. So when you see that Lord like that, it's not talking about Jesus. It's talking about God. Yahweh, God. So the word of God came to Zechariah. The word of God is the most important part. And it should get our attention. So your question here asks you, How does God get my attention? In your life, what does it take for God to get your attention? Is it just that God speaks and you say, all right, God, you got my attention. I hear your voice, God. I recognize it's you. If he speaks softly, will we listen? If he speaks just one time, will we listen? But when we don't listen, he may have to speak more loudly. He may have to speak More than once. Or not speak at all. He may cause the circumstances of our lives. Because he controls the wave and the winds. Even today. To do something to cause us to pay attention to him. If we look at the Old Testament. And we look at the dysfunction. And the sinfulness of God's people Israel and Judah. In the Old Testament. And we see that God again and again and again was calling to them, was trying to get their attention. One prophet after the other, one circumstance after the other. What did it take? Let's move to your second point, and that's verse 2. That's God's anger. God's anger. The Lord, that's God, was very angry with your forefathers. Now, Of all the folks in the world who might get angry at you, who's probably the last person you want to be angry with you? Fill in the blank. God. I mean, it's one thing if I got angry with you. What am I going to do? Holler at you? I mean, what am I going to do? Make you feel guilty? But if the God of the whole universe is angry, and what did it say there? It didn't just say angry. It said very angry with you. Um, Woo. You better watch out. I mean, because you got another thing coming. If God is angry with you, you are in trouble. But the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 9, write it down, that God did not destine us to wrath. He didn't intend to have to be wrathful for us or to be for us to be judged in eternal wrath and hell. So that's not God's intent. Write down 1 Peter 3, 9. 
It says that God's not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness, that he wants all people to come to salvation. So he doesn't want to have to exercise his wrath on us. He doesn't want to have to be angry or very angry with us. He loves us, and that's why he sent his prophets to speak to his people, Israel and Judah, and that's why he sent Jesus to be an example in the Holy Spirit now. One commentator, Barry Webb, says God's anger has never been a popular topic, which is why false prophets and preachers generally avoid it. So, friends, we're going to talk about it here because it's real and it's right there in the Bible. And why God gets angry is because he loves his people. But God is more generous and gracious than we can ever ask. But since he's also sovereign and just and entirely consistent in treating us accountable for how we respond to him. Because God loves us, because God is just, there will be consequences for our sinfulness. So your application question says, why does God get angry? You can answer that for yourself. But as you considered even the little that I've told you here, I believe God gets angry with us because he's just. Because he is righteous, because he is sovereign, and he cannot stand sinfulness because he loves us. Write down Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. If you were to go back there, this is what you would find, the second commandment. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or in the waters below You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God said right there in the second commandment, at the very beginning of his history and relationship with people, he said, I'm jealous because I love you. I want you to do the right thing and therefore I will be angry with you. And it's not because I hate you or despise you, but because I love you. When the people rebelled against God and the tablets were destroyed and they got the second set of the stone tablets that the Ten Commandments was etched on by God's own hand, he says again, do not worship any other gods for the Lord your God whose name is jealous is a jealous God. God's anger. And friends, if we stop at verse 2, we're in trouble. But thanks be to God, we have verse 3. Verse 3 is God's request. God's request, because we go from God's wrath, we go from God's anger to God's love and God's grace. And that's our scripture memory verse for the month. And it uses that phrase, the Lord Almighty says, the Lord Almighty, the Lord Almighty. So that's God Almighty. That means the God of all hosts, the God of all gods. I've told you before when I was in South Africa and I was learning the Zulu language, the Zulu word for God is Nkulu, 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 Nkulu. N-K-U-L-U, N-K-U-L-U. And I looked at that written down, and I was like, hey, that's like the same phrase twice. And they said, yeah, it means the great, the great. Nkulu, nkulu, the great, the great. In other words, he's the greatest of the greatest. He's God. So when people were trying to decide what the word for God would be in Zulu, they said he's the great, the great. And that's what it's saying here, that God is the Lord Almighty. And what does he say? 
return to me and I will return to you. Return to me. God is requesting his people to turn back from their sin. God is requesting his people that are going the wrong way to make a U-turn. Write down Malachi 3.7. Malachi 3.7. That prophet Malachi, whose ministry was shortly before Zechariah, said this. He said, ever since the time of your ancestors, you have turned away from my decrees, so he's speaking for God, and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. That's Malachi 3.7. It's almost identical to this. Return to me, and I will return to you. But you ask, how are we to return? We define that from the very beginning. Friends, when I made a wrong turn on the way to children's camp, what did I need to do? Turn around. I needed to turn around and get back to go the right direction. Repentance, what is it? It's a change of heart, mind, and direction. You need to turn around. So when God requests for us to turn around, what should we do? What should we do? Thank you. Needed some enthusiasm over there. Turn around. Your question says, what should I repent of? 1 Peter 2.9 says, we're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Those of us who have trusted Jesus as our Savior. We're God's special possession. And we declare Him by our lives. But my question is, what should you repent of? Remember that story I've told you before of the pastor standing at the back door at the church and the lady comes up and shakes his hand and says, Pastor, that sermon was perfect. And he got all swelled up with pride until she said, For my next door neighbor. How many of us are sitting here right now and saying, Oh, Pastor Aaron, that perfect sermon for that guy down the pew over there. That perfect that sermon's perfect for that friend of mine on Facebook. No, what about you? What do you need to repent of? What in your life is God telling you right now to turn around? Now, because God's gracious, he gives you the next point. The next point is, well, you put it up there. I'm away from my notes. God's reminder. God's reminder. And that's from verses 4 and 5. So this is still God speaking through the prophet Zechariah. And he says, do not be like your forefathers. To whom the earlier prophets proclaimed, this is what the Lord Almighty says, turn from your evil ways and turn from your evil practices. But they would not listen or pay attention, declares the Lord. He says, I've already warned you about this umpteen times. I've sent other prophets to you and your forefathers didn't turn. They didn't listen to the prophets, but then listen where it goes on. But they would not listen, declares the Lord. Where are your forefathers now? Well, they died. I mean, people die, right? It's kind of uh, uh, something we don't have to be surprised by when somebody passes away. We may be surprised by how they pass away and when they pass away, but not that they are going to pass away. As they say, the statistics on death are pretty impressive. One out of every one people die. And the prophets, do they live forever? They died too. God's reminding them their evil ways Their evil practices are still going on. And God is saying to them, and here you go, Mark Bogan. Dude, are you not paying attention? I've told you again and again and again and then again and again and again through generations of your people. Return to me, repent, but you keep going your own way. You keep doing your own thing. So here's a JL question for you. 
How did that work out for them? I don't know, JL, you don't have it anymore, but he used to have a license plate that had the uh, LMK, well, whatever the phrase is, let me know how that works out for you. I mean, that was, that was his license plate. Let me know how that works out for you. And you, maybe you have not used that phrase before, but you know when you see somebody doing something foolish, you just kind of nod and smile and go, let me know how that works out for you, because you know it's going to fail. This is God saying to us, let me know how that works out for you. Continuing in your sin without repentance, even though I'm calling you back, let me know how that works out for you. Your fifth point on your outline is God's commands. God's commands, and that comes from the first part of verse 6, 6a. That's why I put the a there. But did not my words, it's God, did not my words and my decrees, which I commanded your servants, the prophets, overtake your forefathers? In other words, they've passed away, they died, but my commands stand. My commands are the same. Now, friends, keep your uh, a marker in Zechariah chapter 1, but I want you to turn back about to the middle of your Bible to Isaiah 40. Isaiah is what we call a major prophet, not because he was necessarily more important, but because what he wrote was longer and bigger. So Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah are major prophets. All the other guys are the minor prophets. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40, and I want you to read with me in Isaiah 40. We've actually got two passages from Isaiah 40, one to illustrate here and one for our next point. So keep a marker in both Zechariah 1 and Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, verse 6 A voice says, cry out, and I say, what shall I cry? All men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall because the breath of the Lord, that's the Lord God, blows on them. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of God stands forever. The word of God stands forever. God's commands stand forever. John Mark just memorized 2 Peter 1.21 for his Awana. How do I know? Because I helped him with it. He could probably say it to you, but I'm going to read it, okay? 2 Peter 1.21 for the prophecy. For prophecy never had its origin in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were overtaken by God's words. God's word, God's command is forever. Your application question there on your fifth point says, how effective is God's word? How effective is it? Let's keep reading in Isaiah. But we actually have to go to Isaiah 55, excuse me. So turn a few pages over to Isaiah 55, if you would, please. Isaiah 55, verse 8 and following. Actually, we'll start in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, 
So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. How effective is God's word? Absolutely, positively effective because it's God's word. It's God's word. It does not fail. Your sixth point on your outline is God's people. So you can keep a finger there in Isaiah 55 because we're going to come right back over. But Zechariah chapter 6 or chapter 1. 6b, then they repented. So this is the forefathers. This is the folks maybe even before the judgment and exile. So Zechariah is looking back 70 years. Then they repented. The Lord Almighty has done to us what our ways and practices deserve, just as he determined to do. God's people realized that yes, They had been sinful. And yes, God was right. And yes, they needed to repent and turn from their sins. But it was too late. If you want to read about that, write in your notes, Ezra chapter 9 and 10. Daniel chapter 9, verses 1 through 19. You can go back and read about exactly what happened and how they repented. But God said, it's a little too late. God did what our practices deserve is what His people said there. Just as he determined to do. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 1 through 3, Moses is telling the people before they go into Israel, so this is fast forward a thousand years previous in Hebrew history. When all these blessings and cursings I have set before you come to you and you take them to heart whenever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul according to everything I command you, then the Lord your God will restore your fortune. So a thousand years previously, Moses is saying, hey, God's going to bless you, but because of your blessings, you're going to be tempted to think it's all you and you've got it figured out and you're going to get cocky and do things your way and you're going to rebel against God. But when you return to him, he's going to restore you. In verse 3, it says, or will bring you back from captivity and have compassion on you and gather you again from the nations where he scattered you. A thousand years ahead of time, he told him, I know what you're going to do. Because I know you're sinful. And I know you want to go your own way. Come back to Isaiah 55. What was it we read in verse 6 and 7? Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways, the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and have mercy on him. I haven't told you this one little fact yet. And I did it on purpose. That word turn in Zechariah 1.3 or return in Zechariah 1.3 is the same Hebrew word as the word that is just turn here in Isaiah 55.7. And that literally is what it means to turn. It's the Hebrew word shub, S-H-U-B, shub, and it means to turn. And guess how it is also translated in our English Bibles? 
repent. It's when you're going the wrong way and you have a change of heart, mind, and direction. And you turn and you come back to God and you go the right way. So my final question for you this morning is what should I agree with God about? You see, that's what happened there in Zechariah 1.6 in that last part is that they repented and they said, God is right and we are wrong. What do we need to do differently? Our English word confess means to agree with. So when you confess your sins to God, you're saying, God, what you call sin, I call sin. And when you repent from your sins, you're saying, I'm turning away from my sin and I'm coming to follow you. Some of you here this morning may have never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. You are living a life that is perpetually always going the wrong way. All you need to do today is confess. Confess your sins. Confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And return or turn to Him to trust Him as your Savior and Lord. There's others of us here today that have trusted Jesus as our Savior, but we do a really good job running life our way. Well, we think we do. Until something goes wrong, then we blame everybody and everything else. What you need to do today is repent, to turn back to God, to turn back to His way. I want to read to us now what Trevin Wax has written, and it's called, We Are Repenters. I've read it before, but it is powerful, and I want you to listen. Granted, you've been sitting here listening for about 30 minutes already. And if you... Hear this and you say, ooh, that was good, I need that. Just email me or call me and I'll email you this entire document that Trevin Wax wrote about we are repenters. So I share this with you in conclusion. We are repenters. We repent of living for ourselves and so we commit to trading our personal kingdom agendas For the kingdom agenda of Jesus Christ. We are repenters. We repent of making God out to be more like us. And so we ask God to change our hearts and make us more like him. We are repenters. We repent of our silly attempts to justify ourselves before God and make ourselves pleasing to him through our own sustained efforts. And so we ask him to save and sustain us in his unwavering grace and help us rest in Christ's work on our behalf. We are repenters. We repent of our hypocrisy and self-righteousness, and so we ask God to deliver us from double-mindedness and to help us seek His righteousness above all. We are repenters. We repent of valuing most what other people think. And so we ask God to help us value most what He thinks. We are repenters. We repent of withholding areas from Uh, of our life from God's command. And so we ask God to invade and overcome every part of us, our hopes, our desires, our dreams, our thoughts, our actions, and show us how to love Him and love others from a whole heart. We are repenters. We repent of seeking a life of ease and comfort. And so we ask God for the courage to pick up our crosses and follow Christ no matter the cost. We are repenters. We repent of all the good things that we have failed to do. And so we ask God to open our eyes to the opportunities to shine a light in this dark world. We 
are repenters. We repent of serving ourselves and our own interests. And so we ask God to empower us to serve others in the name of his son, Jesus. We are repenters. We repent of taking pride in our own repentance. And so we ask God to remind us that salvation is all of grace and to humble us before the cross. We are repenters. Let's pray. God, our Father, may that be true of us. That we would be repenters. That everything we've built up about our life, that it is our life. That we are in control. That we are always right. That we would repent and turn to you. And that God, what you call sin, we would confess and agree with you. And that God, as you call us to turn and demonstrate our change of heart, mind, and direction, that we would repent and turn to you. God, your message for Zechariah and his people is the same as your message for us today. We need to repent and turn to you. So God, no matter what our neighbor does, no matter what our family member, our spouse does, would we repent today and turn to you? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.